Well, hey, open your Bibles. Uh, we, have, we do have a special day today. We're going to be baptizing some folks at the end of the service today, uh, which is like the touchdown dance of all churches, right? It's the celebration. And uh, so we're going to get into the Word first. I, I wrote a note to myself not to be in a hurry, because I believe God's Word should always be honored. And uh, so turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. We've been in a series called The Story Continues, where we're talking about from the resurrection of Christ, what, what really happened to cause this small group of believers, the 120, those that are closest to Jesus, to turn into this worldwide massive movement to where now the body of Christ is this big family on mission. You can go to any country, you can go to any city, and if you come near the body of Christ, you recognize we are one great big family, and we're all about the same mission. We call ourselves a lot of different things, and we kind of identify ourselves by a lot of different things, but we are one family, and we're out on a mission, and that is to show the love of Jesus Christ in this world, because the love of Jesus Christ is overwhelming, isn't it? He draws men to himself, and we get the privilege of being part of that. And so we've been talking about what happened when the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, came, and how he became our helper, and how he dwells in us, and how he empowers us and enriches us. And, and today we're kind of bringing this series down to a close. Next Sunday we'll wrap it up, so I, I'm going to have to kind of land this plane in the next two weeks. So today we're going to kind of get the wheels down. Next week we'll touch down. And to do that, I really want to focus on the way forward. You know, we can read the history, and we can know what God did, but for us individually, we must know the way forward. God, what are you doing in my life? God, what are you doing through me, God? How are you doing that? And this morning, I want to share, I believe, the foundational principle of how God does move us forward by the power of his Holy Spirit. So to do that, I want to read the story of what was taking place in Acts chapter 5 to those that were the apostles. They were, they were those closest to Jesus. Now they had received the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We read about that miracle a few weeks ago, talked about it. And now they're out preaching the gospel. They're bold. They're, they're sharing truth. They're not ashamed. They know who they believe in. And in Acts chapter 5, they, they, were, they were doing it in opposition of the religious order of the day that was telling them, you can't do that. Be quiet. Get out of the way. You need to be in that little shadow, kind of like the world's trying to do the church today. You know, get out of our way. You have nothing to say. Just get over here in the corner. And, and they, they were brought before this group called the Sanhedrin, which was the religious order of the day. And uh, they weren't warm and fuzzy men. Can I get an amen to that, all right? They weren't like hugging it out. No, they were like beating them with rods, uh, imprisoning them, threatening to kill them because they wanted to stomp out what they called the way of Jesus Christ. So pick it up in verse 29. Here they've been told, look, you can't preach. You can't go out and do this. You've got to stop it. In verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. And God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for the west. In other words, you say, hey, get Peter and John, get them out of here. We got to talk among ourselves. And, and here's this wise Pharisee had seen things happen. And here's what he said. He got them all right there. Verse 35, he says, then he addressed them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas, I always mess his name up, Theudas, 
appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. Here's the key. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will what? It'll fail. It'll, it'll fall on its face. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Let's pray. God, thank you. That, Lord, you are the God of the universe. Thank you, God, that you created us. You said it is good. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have plan and purpose in our lives, oh God. And that, Lord, you are still working today by the power of your Holy Spirit through men and women, God, who are, who are wholly given in to you, Lord, who have surrendered their lives, God, and trust you, Father, to work through them. So this morning, God, I pray you open our hearts, our minds, God, open our ears to hear. And God, let us be people of response to you. Let your Holy Spirit do his work among us, God. Lord, today we will all be able to say, God, we are closer to you, God. And God, we are more fire for you. Lord, we are, we are wanting to be your instrument. God, use us for your glory. God, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So what is it that sustained this movement? What is it that, that propelled them forward, moved them forward, this movement known as the way, in the midst of all the struggle they were facing? You know, I, I hear believers today going, oh, it's getting so hard, and, you know, the world's changing, and it's, I don't know, it's just getting hard to be a believer. Listen, they're not like crucifying Christians outside of town. Do you understand that this morning? We have a high privilege, especially in this nation, to be very bold with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to not worry about being politically correct, but worried about being spiritually correct, amen, and speak the truth in love. We're not angry at the world. We're not, we're not mad at sinners. We're angry at the devil who has deceived mankind to believe there is a way that's right to them that is in opposition to who God is. And the Word of God says that way leads to death, but there's a way that leads to life through Jesus Christ, and that's what we're all about. So what was it? What propelled them forward in the middle of this struggle and pain and in the middle of great change? Well, the easy answer is God, right? I mean, that, that's kind of like this, you know, if you don't know what to say, just say God. You're probably right in church, right? Uh, the easy answer is to say, well, it's God, and we would all agree with that. But the Bible in this story, I think, gives us a picture and shows this posture and this attitude of the followers of Christ that put them in a position for the world to be able to see Jesus Christ working in and through them. And I believe today it's the same attitude or posture that makes you and I available to say, here we are, God. Work in my life, God. Here I am, God. I believe it's the same attitude and posture that makes us living witnesses of the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ functioning in us. Because when we, when we follow him, it gives him the privilege of displaying his character and his works through you and I. I think we've established that in this series. God wants to work through us. He, he takes common, ordinary people and does amazing things through them. But we saw Gamaliel, this Pharisee, kind of nail the real principle of what was driving them forward. He, he nailed it when he looked at the others and says, guys, listen up. He said, look, if what they're doing is in their own strength and their own power, just give it time. Just give it time, it's going to fail. But if it's of God, get out of the way. If it's of God, move on. If it's God, get out of the way because you're going to fight against the will of God. And here, here's what I see in this. All of us, I believe, can do a pretty good job of living out the values, the morality of the Word of God. I, I believe we can all do a, a pretty good job of living out the values and the moral teachings of the Bible in our own strength 
for a little while. For a little while. Because here's what's happening. Unless we've been changed through an absolute surrender of our lives to Christ, unless we've been transformed by the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, our strength, our goodness, our abilities run out. And before you know it, this house of cards we've built up to try to show that we are good will collapse. And when it does, it brings pain and it brings disappointment. Why? Because it's all been about us and not about him. You see, the key for God to continue to work through us, the key for God to do amazing things in our lives is absolute surrender to him. It's absolute surrender to him. There, there's not any part of us that says, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you, you know, uh, I'll give you my Sundays, God. Yeah, there you go. I'll give you a religious day. But God, I'm not going to give you myself the rest of the week. Because after all, I'm in the world. I need to know how the world does things. God, I'm going to give you my reading time in the morning. I'm going to spend a little time in your Bible, YouTube, I mean, you version on the phone, you know. But I, I'm not going to really dive deep and let you change me. You see, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit is evident in the lives of those who have absolutely surrendered their lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ. The, the, the evidence, the, 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 the working of God, the, the, the peace, the joy, the, the love, the things that we see that we would say, now that's a believer, are evident in lives that are totally and absolutely surrendered to God. And honestly, most of us, if we're truthful, really don't want to hear that. If we're truthful, we really don't want to hear this, but we need to in order to live a victorious God-filled life instead of a frustrating, flesh-filled life. I think what many people want today is kind of a, a new version of, of God's law. You know, law 2015. Because truthfully, most people want to be able to control their religious expression to say, God, if I can just give me 10 easy steps, God, to prove that I'm better than my neighbor, and I'll be okay, right? You know, we like comparisons, don't we? Well, as long as I'm better than them, I'm okay. But there's only one to compare ourselves to, and it's not to you and I, it's to him, right? And he's the only perfect one. You see, God's way is not a way of ten easy steps to anything. God's way is a way of surrender. Until all we have is his, until all we do is his, until they've done that, literally seeking for his power, literally seeking for his gifts to function in us, is pointless. Unless we're surrendered to God. It's pointless. Unless we are his. You see, surrender is the absolute key to relationship with God through the saving grace of his son, Jesus Christ. No one just says, I think it's a good idea. I think I'm going to be a Christian. I'm just going to tomorrow morning say, okay, fine. I love you, Jesus. That's what they tell me. I'm going to say an easy prayer, and I'm going to get baptized. Therefore, it's all good. And now I can go on living my life the way I want to. That is not a relationship with God. That's a religious expression. You see, surrender is an absolute key to that relationship. Because it allows us to say, Lord, I am no longer myself. I am yours. I've been bought with a price. I, the blood of Jesus is the price over my life. And because of that, God, I'm going to give you everything, God. Nothing held back. But not only is it the key to our relationship with God in that saving manner, it's also, I believe, surrenders what allows us to experience an ever-increasing fullness of the Holy Spirit. I've always had people ask, well, how... How can you get more of the Spirit? People are praying, oh, God, give us more of the Spirit. And I'm like, no, pray, God, help us give you more of ourselves. And you're like, well, how does that work? Well, the, how it works is this. Most people kind of see ourselves as like this bottle, right? And, and we look at that and we say it has a capacity. In fact, it says on here that it gets, well, I should have done that while I could re read. Um, my arms aren't long enough. Um, 
we'll say eight ounces. There we go, all right? Who knows? But we look at it as a capacity, and we say, well, that's it. That's as, that's as much as I can go, God. So fill me up, and then, Lord, that's, that's it. I, I'm done growing, right? So, so here we go, God. I surrender my life to you, and we cap it and say, okay, now I'm going to live the rest of my life, and, God, I'm going to make things happen for you. But that, that's not how it works at all. That's a wrong view of what God does in our life through the Holy Spirit. What he does through the Holy Spirit is more like, like the balloon. Everybody familiar with the balloon, right? We, um, I probably won't be able to do this. We fill it up, right? And what do we do? We say, well, it's, it's full. The balloon is full, right? And we say, there you go. Okay, Holy Spirit, fill me up. Thank you for that. That's awesome. But here's the problem. We, we kind of leak, <laughs> you know. We wake up tomorrow and, like, you know, the dog ticked us off or someone cut us off in traffic. And before you know it, we're like that, right? And it's just, like, empty. And we come back to church and say, okay, God, fill us up again. And, and he fills us up again. And we're like, oh, thank you, Matt. That was a good song today. I really got into that one, so the Holy Spirit must have been there. Or, or thanks, Mike, for bringing the gospel, and I got filled up again, but then we, we leak. What surrender does is it puts us in God's hand to say, Lord, we don't want to just be filled up to our capacity. We want you to expand us even more. You know, we can say the balloon is full at that point. But how many knows it can be a lot more full than that, right? And that's how it is with our lives. We come to God and surrender, and we say, God, we're not satisfied with just saying, give us enough to survive. We're saying, God, fill us to a capacity that we didn't even think we could handle, God. Because when you do that, it stretches us. When you do that, God, things get out of our control. And when you do that, God, you get the glory and not us. Because if not, we just get back into that leak, fill me up again thing, right? I love visual aids when they hit people. It's awesome, all right? You see, surrender, we talked about it last week. Surrender keeps us from stiff-arming God and saying, God, I don't understand it, so I don't want it. It keeps us from saying, God, I, I can't control that, so I don't want that in my life. God, I, God I, I've got to get my head around everything, God, and I've got to question everything, God, and I've got to know and understand it, because if I don't understand it, God, I don't want it in my life. And people do that usually about the things of the Holy Spirit. But can I tell you what I don't understand more, more than the Holy Spirit? I don't understand salvation. If you really want to be honest, I don't, I don't get it. That I can believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I can believe that he rose from the dead, he is who he says he is, and the Bible says I'm saved. I'm thinking I've got to run an obstacle course for Jesus, or I've got to, like, you know, get sacrificed or hung on. The, I mean, there's got to be something I've got to do here, right, God? And he says, no, believe. Believe. Confess with your mouth what you believe. God's not looking at my actions, looking at my heart. That's hard to understand. It's almost too good to be true, isn't it? But yet that's where he begins, and that's where we encounter the work of the Holy Spirit, and he begins to fill us up, because God is always inviting us to know him, right? He's always inviting us to be part of his life. Matthew 11, one of my favorite passages in Scripture, Matthew 11, verse 28 says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many of y'all like that scripture this morning? Isn't that awesome? What is he saying? He's like, come. Come spend time with me. Come and yoke your life to my life. Here he is inviting us. You see, invitation is about being invited into a relationship with someone. So that there we can learn, there we can grow, there we can access their life, their wisdom, their knowledge, their grace. 
And there we can be encouraged. There we can be built up. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He says, listen, he's inviting us to come in as the sons and daughters of the king. And he's saying, come, walk with me. Come, let me show you the the grace of my God. Come, let me show you the the mercy he has. Let me show you the power he wants to do there. So he invites us into this relationship. But one thing you find in the kingdom of God is wherever you find invitation, you also find challenge. You also find challenge. He says, come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. But just a little bit later in Matthew 16, he was speaking to his disciples, and Jesus said, listen, guys, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And about that time, Peter's going, what happened to the yoke, right? You know, the yoke was good, cross bad, okay? But what Jesus was doing, he was saying, look, I've invited you into relationship, but understand where this relationship takes you. It takes you into surrender, it takes you to this place where it's got to be all out. It takes you to this place where there, there's nothing left because only then do you experience all that God is when we have surrendered our lives to him. He says in verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will do what? Come on, a little louder. Whoever wants to save their life will do what? Yeah, all right. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can you give in exchange for their soul? Here's what he was saying. He was saying, look, I I give you your identity. See, following God is not about just keeping rules. (laughs) It's finding our identity in him. Because when you find your identity in him and you begin to walk in the benefits of relationship, guess what? It becomes natural then to live according to God's word and to love your neighbor as yourself and to, to reach out to those that are hurting. It becomes natural because now you're in this love relationship where your identity has been found in him. So what he's challenging us to is to live out our identity in a way that shows that our life is surrendered to him. Can I tell you, and I want to be be careful with this, I don't want to sound just like hard and mean, but the story continues, we've been talking about the story, the story continues through disciples of Christ, through men and women who have surrendered their lives to him, and not through people who just show up to church every once while, feed the poor on occasion, and might throw a little offering in the plate. That's religion. He wants relationship. Do you understand that? I'm not trying to be like hard and just like, wow, let's just put this in your face. But yet, it's hard not to when he says, you want to follow me? Take up your cross. And you're not carrying it down to get a snow cone. I mean, it's take your cross. Go and it is a place of death, right? Because in death, it's saying I've died to my old ways and I'm now living in his power. It's what we're representing today in, in baptism. So what are some things we need to surrender? Here's how we're going to wrap it up this morning. I'm going to just kind of put a few thoughts out there. What are some things we need to allow God to help us to surrender to him? And then we're going to go out and we're going to celebrate baptism, all right? So the first thing is this. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are this morning, the first thing that we really have to learn to surrender is, is, is sin. We have to learn to surrender sin to the Lord. We, we, you find in the Bible that repentance and receiving always go hand in hand. You see it again and again. In order to receive, there's a repentance. And repentance simply means turning the other way, turning your face to Jesus, saying, I've gone this way on my own. It's not doing me any good. It's leading to death. I turn and now I I put my eyes on Jesus. He said in Acts chapter 2, Peter was the, the one, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all who the Lord our God will call. Repent, verse, in chapter 3, verse 19, he says, Repent then, I love this one, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. 
that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I still remember when I gave my heart to Christ. Someone had kind of created this false perception in my mind that the day you confess Christ, it's like the next morning you woke up perfect. How many know that's not true? You know, these same lips that cursed men the day before wanted to curse men the next day, all right? The same heart that lusted the day before wanted to lust the next day. But here was the difference. When I received Christ, I surrendered my life to him. And what used to be natural now was unnatural. And I'm like, God, I don't like this. I I don't like the way I sound. I don't like the way I think. I don't like the way I'm feeling. God, I gave that to you. Lord, help me. And there were things in my life, and you can testify to this, those that are followers of Christ. There are things in your life that, man, they stop like that, right? I mean, there are things that just stop like that. I've got a good friend. He was an alcoholic. The day he gave his heart to Christ, boom, never, never had another desire for a drop of alcohol. That's a miracle, okay? But I have other friends who are alcoholic. They got saved and like, boom, oh, wait a minute, I still want alcohol. And they struggle and struggle and struggle, but yet God helped them over time to where they learned to give it to him. They surrendered to him, and God was able to keep them from falling back into that disease. You see, guys, God wants us to surrender the things in our life that are holding us back. The Hebrew writer talked about getting rid of the weights that so easily entangle. If you're going to run, get rid of the weights. Well, that's what sin is. So anything that's opposed to God, anything that stands between you and him, anything that doesn't lift up and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord, you got to let go of that. And in doing that, God will help us. The second thing that we've got to surrender, it's kind of in that same vein, is pride. I would ask you who has no problem with pride in this place, but if we raise our hands, then we would, right? Um, Pride. It's a big deal, isn't it? Because pride can keep us from really surrendering to God. There was an old story in the, in the Old Testament about a, a Syrian commander. He was a commander of the armies, and his name was Naaman. Anybody familiar with Naaman? Naaman had a problem. Naaman woke up one day with a disease called leprosy. Not a good thing, right? And Naaman uh, had a servant girl they had captured in one of their raids who was from Israel, from the tribes of Judah. And, and the little servant girl said, Naaman... Um, I know somebody that can heal you. You need to go see him. He's a prophet, and uh, his name is Elisha. And in 2 Kings chapter 5, uh, he, he went out to find Elisha. And you pick it up, and, and verse 10 will be on the screen. Elisha sent a messenger to Naaman to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Man, what a deal, right? This disease that's eating his life up. All I got to do is go jump in a river, wash seven times. Hallelujah, I'm good, right? But no, 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 no. Naaman was prideful. Naaman was a big dude. He was a big man, right? He was a big guy because he, he, he was the warrior. And Naaman, in verse 11, he says, it went away angry. And he said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. I mean, Naaman was mad. He's like, I deserve better. I am somebody. God should treat me better than anybody else. How many know that's when you get in trouble, right? There are no favorite kids with God. He loves us all the same, amen? And he says, listen, we got better rivers back in Syria, and you want me to go dip in this ugly, it's just bad river, right? And the word says he went away in a rage. And then his servants again come to him, and I love what they said to him. They said, this is my master, look. If, if he had asked you to do some amazing thing like run up that mountain and like capture that city and slay the dragon, I mean, just imagination go wild with that. And he says, wouldn't you have done it? He's like, well, yeah. He goes, well, how much better they just ask you to go dip in the river? Do you want to be healed or not? 
And for his sake, fortunately, he went and did what he was supposed to do. And the Bible says his flesh is restored like that of a young child. Pride almost in the way of a healing, of a miracle in his life. And if we're not careful, we can be just like Naaman. We can get pride in our lives. And it's like, well, well, I should be treated differently. This is how God should work in my life. And we start comparing, right? We start looking at other people and say, well, I look at their marriage. My marriage should be that way. I look at their kids. My kids should be that way. God doesn't like comparison. Do you understand that? Toward the end of the New Testament, Peter, when Jesus restored him, remember the story? He said, Peter, look, if you love me, go feed my sheep three times. He did that. And Peter's like, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, I'll feed your sheep. Yes, Lord. And then Peter looks over, and there's John. He's like, well, what about John then? (laughs) You know, what are you going to do with him? And, And I love what Jesus said. He goes, if I want him to live forever, that's none of your business. Just go do what I told you to do. Now, they, he's talking to like Peter, right? The awesome apostle. I mean, he put him in his place, right? So, so who are we to go, God, I should be treated differently because after all, I am great. No. We are his kids, and he loves us equally. There's, a, there's another form of pride I just want to hit just for a second, and that's in the New Testament in Acts chapter 8, and that's the pride that, that, that there was a man named Simon, uh, really affectionately known as Simon the Sorcerer. Don't you love that? We're going to see him in heaven. Hey, there's Rahab the prostitute, there's Simon the sorcerer. You know, we don't want to be named by our sins, that's bad. But he was Simon the sorcerer, and Simon saw the cool things that were happening when people were being filled with the Holy Spirit, when the apostles laid their hands on them. And so in Acts chapter 8, we read that Simon saw this, the Spirit was given with the laying on of the hands, and he offered the apostles money. And he said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And how many know that didn't go over so well? Because you can't buy the things of God. You can't buy the power of God. The apostles, they, they were <laughs> literally said, hey, may your money perish along with you. They were like, you're done. Forget it, you're done. You better repent now that God doesn't like take you out with a thunderstorm. Because you cannot approach God that way. And they said, repent and pray the Lord in the hope he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. And the Bible goes on to say he asked forgiveness and we are going to celebrate with him in heaven. But there's another pride out there. And that is that we can start saying, well, I want to be public. I want to be out front. I want to be someone that makes a big splash. Here's, here's what we need to know. When you surrender your life to Christ, you surrender your life to Christ. And you say, God, here's my gifts. I don't know how to use them. God, here's my abilities. I hope you can do something with them. God, I don't, I don't, I just need you. Show me what to do, God. Can I tell you, I believe this morning there are ladies sitting in the nursery right now that are doing a greater work than I am doing because they are caring for a young life, showing them the love of Jesus Christ so that a mama could be sitting here this morning to hear the gospel, maybe give her heart to Jesus Christ. Pastors, preachers, singers, missionaries, evangelists, we don't have like our own subdivision in heaven with a nice pool. In the gated community? No. It doesn't work that way. The Bible says, in fact, we are subject to a higher judgment. That's not cool. I didn't sign up for that. But God called me to that. So be careful that our ego and pride doesn't get in the way of how God uses our lives. There's two more things, real quick. Fear. We need to surrender fear. We need to surrender fear that God may ask us to do something we don't want to do. Or God may ask us to go somewhere we don't want to go. I've lived in Raleigh. God bless you guys. Have fun. I like Charlotte a whole lot better. Louisville, hey, Kentucky bluegrass, what can you say, right? Um, New Testament again. Um, 
I know I'm sharing a lot of stories this morning, but there was a guy named Saul. Uh, Saul was, was this man that went out and persecuted the early Christians, threw them in prison, killed them. He was out to destroy the way, but God had a calling on Saul's life, and he knocked him literally off his donkey one day, blinded him, put him in this place, and said, Saul, listen, I got my hand on you. You're going to be a mighty apostle. We know him as Paul, wrote most of the New Testament. But can you imagine, here's Saul who's done all these things and he's, people are fearful of him and God does this and then God approaches a man named Ananias, Acts chapter 9 verse 10, and, and he speaks to Ananias in a vision and, and yes Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, verse 11, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Verse 13, Lord... Ananias answered. Let's be honest. <laughs> Ananias, when he heard this, I'm sure he was looking around saying, all right, who's playing a joke on me? You know, Peter, where are you, man? Are you like whispering from the corner? Because that dude kills people. I'm not going to that guy. But the Lord was speaking to Ananias saying, go do this. So Ananias said, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. For this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, the story goes on. Ananias obeyed God, and he went, and Saul was miraculously healed. He became Paul. And when you pick up your Bible and you read Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, all the incredible epistles, that man wrote them. But can I tell you that surrender may mean that God asks you to do some things you don't want to do? Can I tell you that surrender may mean God asks you to speak to somebody that you may be fearful to do that? Can I tell you that surrender may mean that God asks you to sacrifice in a way you never thought you could sacrifice before? But can I tell you, when God does, the Holy Spirit in us will remind us that when we do, then God gets all the glory. And God does amazing things through us. I tell people, you can't have a miracle unless you need one. Okay, you, you, can't, you can't have God break through for you unless he needs to break through for you. So if you live this controlled life that's in your hands and you can always control it, then basically you're saying, I don't want the miraculous, I don't want the supernatural, I just want religion. But God says, no, I want you to be surrendered. Because when you surrender, I have all of you. And that leads to the last thing this morning, we're in closing prayer. And I really believe for us to be fully utilized by God, for the Holy Spirit's power to be evident in us, we also have to surrender to God our understanding. Our understanding. Now be real careful with this, okay? Because nowhere does God tell us to stop thinking. Nowhere does God tell us to stop thinking. But he does show us that we need to stop having the need to understand everything about God. I never will forget the quote from a man that I buried his 23, I think he was 23-year-old son. I was only 28 at the time, and I looked at him and I said, well, how, how do you find God in the middle of this? How do you make sense of all of this? He had one son that was NCAA champion in tennis and one son born with a two-chamber heart died. Now, never forget, he looked at me and said, Mike, the day, the day that I understand everything there is to be about God, then he's no longer my God because he can do nothing for me. And I never will forget that because what he was saying is there's things we don't understand, but I chose to surrender to God a long time ago. And I'm going to trust him no matter what. I'm going to walk with him no matter what. Because the way of surrender, the way of surrender is that place where we trust God. We obey, we surrender, and we say, God, I'm going to, I'm going to close the door on doubts, and I'm going to trust you. 
And Jesus was the supreme example of that. You know, we, we tell the little kid stories of Jesus going to the cross, and it sounds like he was just like skipping to the cross. No. No. It says in Mark chapter 14, he was praying. He says, Father, everything is possible for you, but please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will, not mine, to be done. Guys, when we surrender our need of understanding, what we're saying to God is this, Lord, I may not get it. I may not understand why you're asking this of me. I don't even understand what's happening in my family, but God, I want your will to be done. It's saying, Father, if this problem, if this pain, if this sickness or this circumstance is needed to fulfill your purpose on this earth, and glory, glory will be given to you and in my life as well, God, then, Lord, don't take it away. But let me walk in your grace. Let me walk in your grace so that others may know you. You see, guys, here's... Here's what surrender does. Surrender means following God's lead without knowing where he's sending you. It's just saying, okay, God, you said go. I'm going. Surrender is waiting for God's timing without knowing when it will ever come. Will I ever get married? Will we ever have kids? Will I ever break through? Will I ever get healed? It means surrendering to God's timing. Trusting his best. Surrender means expecting a miracle without knowing how God will provide for it. You ever been there? Man, I have. God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but Lord, it's, it's you because we can't. Surrender means trusting God's purpose without understanding the circumstances. Now, here's the deal. We're going to pray. None of us, none of us will ever do this perfectly, guys. None of us will ever get this totally right. That's where God's grace comes in. God's grace doesn't mean you don't need to surrender. God's grace means he knows there are going to be days that areas you surrendered, you take back. He's going to come in and says, listen, my grace is sufficient for that. Stop taking it back. I love you so much. I want you to succeed. I want you to do well. But you got to stop taking it back. So no one is going to do this perfectly. No one is going to be able to just like, I'm this perfectly surrendered person. But that's where God lavishes his love upon us. And when we're weak, he becomes strong. And those areas that used to be a battle for you, and you're like, I don't know if I can surrender that to God. He makes it easier and easier and easier to eventually say, God, I've just got to. I trust you. God, you bring peace. Gang, I want to tell you, that's the way we move forward. We move forward in God's peace. We move forward in God's strength. We move forward through a surrendered life because when we surrender to God, we're allowing Him to receive all the glory, to receive all the honor, but we're also allowing ourselves to quit relying on self. I, li- I, like, I like to say I, I know what Mike Field can do, and it's not a whole lot. But I get the privilege to experience what God can do through me. It's pretty amazing. And He wants to do the same for each one of you today. He wants to do the same for each one of you today, but it begins with surrender, begins with faith. Let's close with this scripture. We're going to pray. Hebrews eleven six says, And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes in must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And the kids cheered, Mike is done. God rewards faith. He rewards trust. He rewards surrender. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to stand with me this morning.
the last several Sundays, we've chosen to close our service by going back into a time of worship. We've invited you to the front. and Today, we're, we're going to close our, our time in a time of worship, but the invitation to be a little different. We, we put communion out of the way for several weeks because it can become something that's just ordinary. God never meant for it to be ordinary. See, everything we do on a Sunday sets you up to surrender. I'm sorry, but singing with a bunch of people you don't know is an act of surrender, okay? It just is. Bad notes and all. But God says it is a joyful noise to Him. Giving of our tithe and offering, that's a surrender. Saying, God, I trust you in every part of my life, regardless of finance. It's not a dirty word, okay? God trusts that. He says, see what I can do with that. It's much more than you can. It's awesome. But surrender is also remembering the body and the blood of Christ. And the scripture is very clear. In fact, we don't emphasize this enough, but the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, listen, unless you really surrender your life to Christ and he is yours, I mean, he is your Savior and Lord, don't do this. Don't even come. Because it's not a magical potion. It's not like a good luck charm. He's saying, no, when you come, you're recognizing that he surrendered his life for you. His body was broken. By his brokenness, the word says we're healed. That's why it's so powerful to take the bread and say, God, thank you for that wholeness. The juice, the cup, represents his blood that was shed. When we come, when we dip the bread into the juice, we're saying, Lord, I can't save myself. I can't, I, I can't even forgive myself, God. I need you. And he cleanses us. And my prayer this morning is this, is that if you were here today and you're like, well, well I don't know that I believe surrender to God. And now you're telling me not to come have communion. No, I want you to have communion. I really do. Because I want you to take the step first of surrendering your life to Christ. Because outside of that, it's just bread and juice. Unfortunately, the Bible says even with a curse, it's not good for you. But when you surrender your life to Christ, this becomes life. And that's my hope for you today. So why don't you bow your heads with me for a moment. And just for this moment, as just a little evaluation, Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 11, let every man examine himself before he come into the Lord's table. And it's not to beat yourself up. It's not to go, oh, look how sinful I am. No, it's to examine our heart and say, Lord, am I surrendered? God, I may have had a bad week. I may have done stupid things. I may have, I may have hurt some people. But, Lord, I, my life is surrendered to you. And, God, right now you're making me aware of that. Please, Lord, cleanse that. I, I repent of that, God. For others, it may be that uh, the moment is so sober and you go, I've, I've been just so full of myself that I just kind of come and take communion. It's no big deal. And it's just kind of, I move on. And God's dealing with your ego and pride right now and say, look, it ought, to, it ought to be a moment of reflection to say, God, I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful, God. But you may be here this morning and the Holy Spirit's talking to you. Something inside of you is saying, today's the day. Receive Jesus as your Lord. I'm going to give you a chance to do that when I pray in just a moment. And I'm going to invite everybody as we sing this last song to, to, to let the word sink into your heart, to move out. There's communion in the front. There's communion by the cross. And just take part of what God is doing today. But if you're here and you've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior, it is a mystery. I, I shared it earlier. It's hard for us to comprehend. But yet to do.
do so, you become one of the billions of people around this earth through the ages that have done this very thing. And that is, they've come to a point where they have said, Lord, I surrender. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that He died on the cross because there was no other way to pay the penalty for my son. For I'm a sinner and I need His grace. And I believe that not only did He die on the cross, but God, you're powerful enough. You rose him from the dead that I no longer have to fear death. I no longer have to fear sickness. Lord, I'm I'm yours. And God, I confess, Lord, be my Lord. I I surrender. I trust you. If you're here today, if you're not asking Jesus Christ to be your Lord, do that as we pray. Father, God, I thank you. God, I thank you that, Lord, this journey with you, God, is one. That, Lord, is, is not about a singular event, God, but, Lord, an event that leads to a life, oh, God, of surrender. God, I pray you help those today, God, who've been serving you, been following you, God, maybe for many, many years, God. God, to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, oh God, and to to just lay it all down, God, and say, Lord, it's all yours. Lord, I know how it is over time we take things back, God, and I pray you help us to surrender to you. God, I pray for those that, Lord, are, are growing in their faith, God, and this is a big step, and I pray you help them, Father. God, this morning as they confess Jesus Christ is Lord. God, your Bible, the Word of God says all of heaven rejoices. God, we get to rejoice as well. So God, let your kingdom come today. God, as you see it in heaven, what you desire, God, let it be done on earth in us. God, help us as we respond this morning, God, whether it's in our giving, whether it's going to the cross and praying, whether it's communion, God, whatever our response is, God, let it be an act of worship to you. God, I pray this in Christ's name.